This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Giorgio, I'll start by saying that I get message requests from time to time. Um, I tend to maybe look at them carefully because I have had people sending me their CVs, their their <laughs> resumes. They're asking to be on the podcast, and I don't know what to tell. You know, I, sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's, mm. you know, unrelated altogether. And I reply one by one. Now, I had to do some vetting. I had to make sure you're, <laughs> you're real because you have a computer box as your profile. Yeah. You have a very uh, strange uh, .xyz website, <laughs> and uh, you're more or less hidden online. <laughs> So I want to make sure first you're real, you're human, not a strange bot, you know, hacking me, uh, and that you are who you say you are, that you're a Lebanese citizen who is concerned and wants to talk about an issue that matters to you. So a little bit of vetting and I made sure, yeah, you're real. I had to make sure at first that your name exists because uh, I don't think that's your name. The way you sent it, uh, it had just Giorgio and that's like sort of a one man, oh. one name. Yeah. It's like, okay, what's the last name? <laughs> Just to be sure. My so, last name also is like a, a like a, the mayor. Yeah. State. My, my, my great grandpa's name is Ula. So my last name isn't actually Ula, but it was like a mistake. Oh, I see. So it turns yeah. out my vetting was really bad. It turns out you're not who you say you are. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm just teasing you. But, but I'm glad you, you wanted to discuss an issue that I know little about, and yep. it's the telecom sector. Mm -hmm. And you have some personal experience you wanted to share, and you have maybe some work experience and maybe uh, your, own, your own way of trying to improve the situation in Lebanon. And these sort of uh, yeah, very very interesting sort of portfolio. Let me before we get into telecoms, before we get into your own personal work, can you just explain yourself a bit? Uh, I know you told me that you're an LAU dropout, and yeah. you're you're now a proud NDU student. Okay, so let's let's start from there. Your maybe your academic experience, and also that brief stint you had in the U.S. when you were a student and working in, in, in the U.S. Just just your own, let's start with your personal story. All right. Um, so I started off as a, like, I was, I'm basically the first person in my extended family to go to university. Oh, wow. So we were opting to go to a good university. And LU was the option because it was in Biblos and I live in Kura. Mm. So it was kind of, the better option for us we couldn't go to we couldn't get to Beirut to go to AUB mm -hmm. so I started off there 
and I, I was really passionate about computer science uh, since I was like a kid. So I thought this was this would be like something I would really be good at. And uh, I went to the U.S. to visit some family, and then I had the opportunity to uh, apply to a university there and uh, see if I can, if I can get like a status. I wanted to flip my visa from like a visitor to student. Oh, right. Uh, but that took a very long time, and yeah. uh, it, it was backlogging. So I tried to make the most of my time in the U.S. I uh, I visited New York. I stayed with one of my friends from university that I met here, and uh, I managed to meet some really cool people and had a very nice experience there. Um, and then. Like after a while, I just gave up on uh, like getting the student status, so I just came back and just wanted to start. Like I want to finish my degree so, so that I can like have a solid thing that I can build on. But Giorgio, you know, like, sir, I want to ask you: You were studying computer science in LAU. Yeah. Okay, and then you you were visiting the U.S. as just a tourist, and and you thought yeah. about sort of continuing your studies in the U.S. Uh, when yeah. and th sorry, that's 2018. Did I get that right? Um, 17, 18. 17, 18. Okay. Were, what was your experience like in the U.S. Even though you didn't become a student at the end, you didn't sort of transition to student visa. What was your experience like in the computer um, science honestly, sector? It was, it, it was quite shocking, honestly. Mm. Like I came here from uh, a place where it was quite competitive. Like the people my colleagues at university, the people I used to meet here that like, they used to tell me about what they went through to get a job and how much effort they had to put in and like how actually we're competitive between one another as peers in university. But when I went there and I went to a, I went to some random conferences where people just go and talk about fun things that they do in, in their free time, time, like things that have to do with programming and stuff like that. So I just saw like a, whole community of people trying to get to help each other out to come up with something that's good for everyone mm. and from that I saw also that there's like not much competition over there actually it's the opposite there's so much demand for people to work in this field over there that like it took me a while to comprehend this uh, this uh, like conflict between the society in the US and the society in Lebanon but uh, this made me realize like how much opportunities that we're wasting here just because we have like a couple of bad components that we can relatively cheaply fix over here and like we can easily compete and like benefit from uh, working in this and like developing this sector in, in Lebanon. So, so it's not about it's not about too many people in Lebanon aiming for the same position. It's got nothing to do with that. It's not that there's limited uh, um, opportunities. So the thing in Lebanon, opportunities are, are limited because we're limiting ourselves in like our shell, like this yeah. country. However, right. like this works over the internet now. It, like there's no borders whatsoever. Yeah. I could be working for a company in the other side of the planet while sitting in my bedroom, which is like what I do right now. So <laughs> And you uh, deal with you deal with people like me across the planet as well, talking about your issues across the planet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like 
like if this barrier would be like just unlocked by the government or like eased out like if it were easier for us to get jobs outside and have companies be interested in actual uh, people in our field here it would be like so much better for society i'm just speaking about my domain i'm not really like familiar with other domains but i think it kind of it might apply in some sort but when when but you I'm reached really sure. when you reached out to me you were in a way pointing at the telecom sector and you, you sort of described yourself as a as a computer scientist and a, a sort of a, maybe a bit too passionate that you were at, at the age of 12 you were <laughs> handling your local internet provider's workload i mean you were kind of a, in a way becoming the mukhtar of the internet connection in kura uh, that so you have a deep deep passion for for both computer science and, and telecoms but you mentioned that the field offices is an issue in Lebanon, that you've mm. actually been trying to reach out to even Ogero executives that you wanted to see if you could perhaps bring some field offices to the country. Can you just maybe talk about that and what it was about your stay in America that made you see that as, a, as maybe a necessity for, for at least uh, the stuff you were mentioning earlier, which is that there's so many people in Lebanon and it's the unhealthy type of competition as opposed to yeah. your experience in the US? So uh, the problem here is basically that the internet is just absurdly expensive. Uh, it's like, uh, would you mind if I just put some numbers out? Just oh, to please do. By the way, either, and that's something I should have acknowledged at the beginning, is that you're the expert here. So you, you <laughs> if you want, like this is your episode, you, <laughs> you can... <laughs> Do whatever you want. Yeah, let's consider an educational experience. Tell me as many details as you want about uh, about the sector. All right. So suppose you have like a small office here, and you want to hire like forty people. Mm -hmm. So on average, you should get these people about like three hundred megabits per second, like the internet speed that you need to get. So in Lebanon, if you want to get like two dedicated capacity, like two like a line that connects you, your office to the submarine cable that connects us to the rest of the world, yeah. you have to pay uh, 165,000 liras per two megabits. So if you want 300 megabits, that's like 24,750,000, which is like... So, sorry, sorry, say that again. So that's 165,000 at the old rate, the al Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's... But, but it's still expensive. Right, right, sure, sure. So it's uh, let's say one hundred and ten dollars uh, for two for two megabytes for two. So you need like two like two does not work for anyone. The way we have internet right now is that someone aggregates like gets fifty for example and shares it with everyone in the town. So mm. he, he pays the bill for fifty and he splits it for everyone. That's how it works. Like that's how we have a portable internet. Uh, so yeah. So if you wanted to have like a company, you can't like afford to share the, the connection with other people. You need your own line. Right. So, so this is just like for a small 40 people office. So uh, when I was in New York, for example, just to put things in comparison, mm -hmm. when I was in New York, I, I was able to volunteer with a, a community uh, internet provider called NYC Mesh. They're very nice people. Uh, they just basically antennas on top of rooftops in New York and just give internet for free for everyone. Hmm. So 
these people have like a one gigabit dedicated line. So we're kind of, it's like three times almost the capacity per office here. And they just get it for free. Oh, oh it's really, they, they don't pay for yeah, it. Just, yeah, there's like, there's a big building. Uh, it's called like the Verizon building in New York. They just pay for the spot for the antenna on top and there's hooked up with cable. And it's got like three times the capacity of what you would pay an absurd amount for here mm. for free. It's just mm. giving it up. So like in comparison, if you want to like, th this is a small office. If you're like a Google and you want to open up an office here, you're, you're looking in hundreds of millions of liras per month just to operate an office. So this right. discourages automatically any company from opening here. Just go to neighboring countries, Egypt, uh, the UAE, um, Every, everywhere it's cheaper than here. Oh, so and, I did, actually I didn't know that. So Lebanon is more expensive than the neighborhood when it comes to... Yeah. Can I ask, wh why is that the case? It's, what, is the, uh, what is the... So uh, this is actually kind of a political issue. Hmm. The price that has been set has been set like a decade ago. So this is a rapidly evolving field. What, what used to be fast internet 10 years ago is super slow right now. So the current oh, debate. Right oh, now, like in other words, a two megabytes ten years ago was an impressive connection. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, right, right. Probably more than ten years ago. I'm not really sure about the date, exactly. But the thing is, now in politics, if you go out as like the minister of telecom and you say you want to make the internet cheaper, while there's other people boasting about how much revenue this sector is providing to the to the government. You're gonna be like ridiculed and laughed at, but the thing is, is that if you lower the price, people are actually gonna demand more, so they're gonna pay the same. If like if I have a two megabit speed right now and it's super slow and I just had to switch connections, I wouldn't mind paying the same price for something faster because it's something that I can already afford. And in addition, right. if yeah. if you reduce the prices, you would have you would attract companies from abroad to like open up here for example or I don't know you can do like countless field like there's I, I can't imagine how much sectors currently could use a cheaper internet connection right now but I'm, I'm just curious because I I mean again this is, I'm a novice at the subject that a place like a city like Dubai mm. has a lot of these field offices I'm, I'm curious in terms of the regulation uh, mm. What is the stumbling block to getting those prices lowered? And maybe it's sort just, of... We have, in 2012, we, we installed a very large uh, submarine cable. I'm not sure if you're, if you this. kind of remember. Yeah, it, yeah, of the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now, it, we are using 20% of the capacity offered by this line. So we paid for something like a huge pipe of water, and we just have a small valve at the tip of it. Right. And the reason why we just use 20% is because of this pricing. And uh, like the supply and demand thing balance the, the, the thing that like we just use 20% of it for what we pay. But then we can like use 100% for free, basically, if you just reduce the prices. Neither one of us are politicians. We don't have access to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm curious, is it simply a, an issue of corruption that everyone's talking about the last few months that it's that this is a. Uh, this is mismanagement and the money is going to the wrong place? Or, or is it something beyond that, that uh, the telecom sector in a way is, is outdated? 
that it's not sort of up to speed. Because I'm curious why 10 years ago or longer, Lebanon was not doing so bad compared to the region. And now it took a mm. nosedive. Like, what is it about uh, what is it about the sector and maybe the regulations and maybe corruption that, that has brought us to this point? Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know how to put this, but like, suppose that you're like a massive trillion dollar company, you want to open an office in Lebanon. The only way you can make them an exception is that by going to the cabinet and having everyone agree that this company should be should get an exception. It's not like one person can make the decision. It's, it needs consensus. So it's like uh, we're going back to the discussion with Mona from the previous episode. Everything needs consensus. So even like things like that, that like it's like for people in the field, even like the person I was, I, I had the conversation with at Ogero, he's, he's just sounded hopeless. He just needed like- Yeah, but can you tell me about that? I mean, as much as you can about that conversation, that's somebody within the sector who's uh, disillusioned. Yeah. So yeah, just share, share what you can from that. Uh, what they're opting for is just having like Ogero as a private, semi like it's currently, there's like a conflict between what Ogero is, does it manage the internet? Does it own what the, the cable stuff? Does it have to repair? There's just, it's totally ambiguous, even by them. Like they don't know if they're supposed to fix a cable or if they're supposed to like hire someone to fix the cable or if it's the ministry's responsibility. They just have to go in this debate every time something happens or every time the project has to has to like uh, uh, be deployed. For, like uh, I, I'll give you an example. In my town, they were just digging and- I was gonna say, to... this is what I was gonna ask you. How, did they start digging? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my my relationship to Ojero was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't Ojero who, who was digging. It was like they were laying water pipes. Oh, okay. And then yeah. uh, a clever engineer just put the map out wrong and they just dug the, they, they just cut the, the phone cable. Yeah. And it was like patched but using like electrical tape Jesus. in 2014 15 and it still hasn't been fixed till now so like i the when you open when you use the phone it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just like they're in conflict about who's supposed to fix the line is it the contractor is it ogero is it the municipality is it the ministry of telecom just going back and forth for like years so so the telecom and, problems are like the electricity problems in that sense that it's just uh, layers and layers of trying to reach some compromise that doesn't add up and then you have a failing failing ministry the internet speed is low but it's maintained so is it is it matter of literally just unlocking something that is being locked because the money is not being agreed to i mean because you said 20 percent of of the bandwidth is being tapped into the 80 percent that's not is it sort of being used as leverage why wouldn't it be a simple let's open this up and all of us take advantage uh as far as i know from the conversation i had with the with the guy at Ojero, they have like spent a lot of money deploying fiber between uh, big terminals in the country and there's like a very reliable uh, like a back link backhaul thing like you can connect a company in in Tripoli to a company in Beirut as if they were in the same building so we have a very reliable internal infrastructure hmm. the problem is getting the the a reliable connection between the terminal like the central 
to your home. That's the big problem. And right. uh, the, that's what needs a lot of money. So the alternative that's been going on here like for decades is just someone that has an antenna on the roof and just gives internet to everyone around us. Yeah. So they're, they're putting dramatic pressure on these groups of people. They're kind of illegal, but there's no alternative. Like if I didn't have internet from that guy, I, I would have to like pay exorbitant amounts for alpha and touch to get a 4G connection, which is the, which is the only alternative. Right, right. Uh, but like, but sorry, sorry. Example, can I just interrupt? Yeah. Sorry, the, the, this yeah. this guy that you're referring to, and I'm guessing it's the same guy that you've been helping since you were 12. It's the it's the guy. I'm I'm curious. Yeah. Is this actually illegal in Lebanon, or is it legal? It's 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 like they 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 look the other way, in, in some sort of way. And they're getting so, their internet. They're getting the internet from the same. From the same source, it's not like a different way of accumulating. Yeah, yeah. Ojero is the the source for the entire country. There's no other source. So I'm, I'm curious, and I'm using I'm going to use an analogy. The way that the generators have kind of stepped in to provide electricity when the government doesn't is it the same kind of situation mm -hmm. that you have these other forms of let's say internet that when when Ojero doesn't deliver, you turn to the the local provider is that kind of the same situation uh, it's actually more convoluted in the mm. fact that you're actually getting the internet from ojero at the end but just it's not ojero that's delivering it right so, so the delivery is not from ojero yeah that, yeah it's one body that's controlling everything from like controlling the pipe that gets in the country like the the line that gets into the country to delivering it to the houses the individual houses Right. And everything in between. It's one body. Mm, and mm. there's lots of points of failure. And it's mainly because lack of, basically lack of funding. Because like everything Ojero has to spend has to be approved by the government. So, okay, but uh, sorry, I interrupted you earlier. So you were you were kind of outlining the what, what stops the 80% from being accessed. Oh, yeah. Um, so we can access the 80%. It's just that there is no demand for the 80% at the price that's being set right price. now. Okay, yeah. So if you're like a company in Beirut, you can easily access as much bandwidth as you would like if you pay enough. Right. That's the thing. Right. We said it earlier, those field offices. Is that the ultimate stumbling block to getting a field office from whatever company? It could be Google, it could be something else. Is that the main hurdle? Um, that's one hurdle. hurdle. But like uh, uh, other hurdles are like getting money in and out of the country. Like you know, you can't you can't do on online payments. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. It's it's, it's insane. Like, okay, let's then let's go from that to cryptocurrency, and it's something that I know nothing about. I'm going to re I'm going to depend on you to just maybe help explain the basics of it and how Lebanon kind of feeds into the story because I do know from from certain articles and just sort of tangential knowledge that this is a growing sector and that maybe a country like Lebanon stands to benefit the most given how horrible things are so maybe just if you can do just like a 101 on cryptocurrency and then take it to the Lebanese uh, side actually like cryptocurrencies are are such a broad field that uh, I'm just gonna go over the the, the 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 upper layer of it. 
it's just like a um, a way to transfer an asset between one person to another without having anyone in the middle into like be the mediator right so yeah. I could send you money right now just I, I don't need the approval of a bank I don't need anyone else's approval yeah and it's completely like it's 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 secured in a way that's really clever so, uh, in such a way that like it like a transaction it's really hard to be it's really hard to forge a transaction it's really hard to come up with money out of thin air but what gives it its actual value is people's trust in it just like people's trust in a currency so uh, there's for some sorts of cryptocurrencies like for example bitcoin there's like a limited supply there's like 21 million bitcoins that will ever be in circulation and then there's a sort of system in which every 10 minutes 15 get bitcoins get released up mm. to a certain point where we stop releasing bitcoins and then there's a way that incentivizes people to help perform the transaction so that like it wouldn't be someone in the middle performing the transaction it would be like a network of people and then you would send your transaction it would go through like multiple nodes until it hits you in some other country or right uh, so there's like this incentive for people to run transactions and just decentralize the whole thing without mm. uh, uh like having a central body controlling everything uh, of course this is like the ideal version of cryptocurrency this is not the actual reality right now of it uh it gets like super complicated and it depends on the actual cryptocurrency you want to use but like for now in lebanon as far as my personal experience it's it's really hard to use like we could we could have like people do transactions in cryptocurrency it just you need the people to believe in the value of the actual thing and you did you need to like import cryptocurrencies which you have to pay for in dollars which we can't do right now oh i okay i didn't know that so you have to use dollar for bitcoin imports i, I didn't know that I, I mean, unless someone is like super generous and just floods us right. with uh, cryptocurrency. So, so, there's so no... the, the lure of cryptocurrency also depends on stability in that sense. You can't sort of avoid a local economies or local currency hyperinflation. You still need some relative calm to use Bitcoin mm -hmm. or, or cryptocurrency yeah. in general. Okay. The advantage of it is that like no matter how bad the government is it's not going to affect the actual value of the thing you own once you own it right you know it's not like lira it's not like uh, it's like more stable it gives you less less anxiety i don't know anyone anyone who's using cryptocurrency although yeah, i know it, i know it exists i know it's it's there but i don't i don't know anyone kind of sort of trying to lure me into ditching my money for it, virtual money it's 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 like really hard it's just it's still like a growing concept it's mm. gonna get to a point where it's gonna be like the, uh, there was something uh, like the sec yesterday released the claim that okay they're gonna uh, loosen up the regulations allow bitcoin to, or other cryptocurrencies to integrate in the american economy that was just like yesterday so in the future i see this like becoming more and more the norm right yeah. Uh, but like, if we look at what's happening right now, for example, in Lebanon, 
it's super shady. It's like going to, it's like dealing with drugs. Like if you want to cash, if you want, if you get paid, for example, you, you, you work abroad and you get paid in cryptocurrency and you want to be paid in like actual tangible currency that you can use in the country, like dollars, you have to go meet the guy who takes a cut and then you have to like orchestrate the whole thing and it's super shady and ugly and I just like like nobody wants to deal with that they yeah. rather they would rather keep the lira and rely on that that's yeah. a selling point for the lira it sounds like a like a yeah like a late night drug drug deal or something no I still I prefer lira <laughs> yeah. your frustration and I think part of the reason you reached out to me is to kind of express the disadvantages of someone like you who has the technical know-how somebody who studied the the studied the topic and worked in the topic but is sort of you know has to apply a lot of effort to at least work in this field and work comfortably not work sort of at a disadvantage any uh, remote work where there's a population that can can provide a lot of skill and talent and then there's a requirement to have a physical presence from that company is there any way to kind of bridge that? Because I know that you, you, you mentioned that you want to see more field offices in Lebanon, and you also mentioned that there's very unlikely, uh, it's an unlikely achievement anytime soon. And I know that you work remotely for a company that doesn't require that kind of presence mm. per se, but for other people that are uh, facing a similar similar situation. So... This Corona thing that's been going on recently might help us like with this kind of requirement of a field office because mm. all the companies have been forced to try remote work. So right. I think yeah. they will be more encouraged given this experience that they were forced to go through to people remotely. Uh, it's not that all companies require field offices. It's just like the massive companies like like Google or Facebook or Amazon. Yeah. They, these are companies that they would prefer having a field office with. But there are lots of companies that don't require field offices, field offices at all. Mm. But the thing is, is that that's another problem. There's not much confidence in like the Lebanese kind of community. It's not not the community as a whole. It's like there's, I don't know how to put this, like how would you trust that if you hire someone who graduated from this university to be actually competent, or if we, if he, if he worked in companies in this country that he would, act, he was actually doing something that's, that like is relevant to the job that you're offering to him, you know things like that. What I think could help us in this field is having universities be more active. In the community as a university not just as a place where you go get a degree and leave like what would stop universities from applying for research grants and then having undergraduate students do undergrad research and then publish it and then they would just automatically get credibility this so, doesn't happen here it's a good question actually let me ask you you're you've been in two universities lau and ndu and i don't know about aub or san joseph if they if they do this if they kind of are the same situation why, why isn't that sort of more on, um, on the radar? Honestly, I have no idea. I mean, uh, I, I wish that was the case. I wish that there was a university where they could be paid for companies to hire people 
hire their graduates just, just because they have like this background and uh, history of publishing work and mm. doing actually relevant stuff. This doesn't happen here. Maybe they, I, I'm not sure why, but uh, it could be because uh, professors are too busy. There's not much people on campus. So it's who... got, it doesn't have to do with bandwidth or, or the, sta the same no, problems. No, this has nothing, nothing at all. Huh. This is something completely different. And this, this is a good problem to be solved, actually. Uh, like, yeah, some companies also just apply for grants and get them and work on them. But it's just this thing where there's not much trust like if you apply for a grant from here, like who are you? In in your personal experience as a student, and I, I hope I remember this correctly, you're still an undergraduate student. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're yeah. you're you're still in the university domain. Uh, yeah. But but you've also worked. You spent two years, and you've you've spent years actually in the U.S. in between. So it's not like you're not an existential student. You went back to university. That yeah yeah. What for you? What what are the? I mean, what do you see are the constraints? Because I, it's a it's a point worth exploring a bit. You're a student. You're capable, more than capable, and if anything, I mean, that would be your natural ecosystem, to have a, a an institution with reliable sort of uh, that that that's where you would do it, and in terms of rep reputation as well, it's probably easier to get the grant. So why doesn't NDU do something like that? And from your own side, yeah. like what? like people are getting laid off there's no budget like this is kind of like an investment you need to invest in people to just do research like uh, uh, for example a university could pay professors to do some research publish it then get credibility and mm. use that credibility to get more grants and get more money in to do more things this is like an opportunity for growth that's not happening right now that's interesting i never really you know you're the first person i've spoken to about this subject and there, there is money there is grant money mm. but i know nothing about computer science and i would assume that that kind of the sciences and engineering and the likes and, and computer engineering and i would assume that that's getting the bulk of the money but i guess that's not the case I, somehow I imagine that that's where the money would be pumped to because that's the sort of the um, biggest sector at the moment that's the most among the most important yeah I agree uh, there, there's if you look around in universities you see like these massive engineering complexes and buildings that are being built and yeah. people are donating it but they're just uh, from what I see this these donations are like going for like a thing that like appearances more than actual investment in academic work. So like, okay, you're you're LAU, you're a very prestigious, relatively prestigious university in Lebanon. You go build a new fancy engineering building, but then there's no new research that's coming out. You're just producing res uh, engineers, and that's it. That's like it's like a production line. There's no actual innovation that's going on. So you so the emphasis in that sense which makes sense. The university should be focusing on things like research and not sending, mm -hmm. not they're sending their students abroad the way that it yeah. sort of happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, you're, uh, well, maybe this is your calling, Giorgio. Why don't you go to NDU tomorrow and, you know, knock on their door and say hello. <laughs> <laughs> we're I mean, not really sure if we're going to have a fall semester. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, you're right. But, but, 
all, but that's the point as well that you and you said it earlier that COVID has maybe allowed for someone like you to have more opportunities than before. As someone your age, still in Lebanon, who went abroad, tried staying abroad, didn't happen, went home. And you're now in Lebanon in the middle of this whole mess. You're somebody who wants to work. You are working for a remote job, but it's maybe not everything you'd like to do. And you have serious frustrations. And you're taking, I mean, I don't know anybody a student, undergraduate student who's, who gets an appointment with an Ogero executive to explain to Ogero how to improve their services. I don't know anyone like this. So you've, you're, you're, proactive, you're, you're very proactive in your field. And I'm guessing if these opportunities were available in Lebanon, you'd probably not think about leaving. I'm, I'm assuming it's sort of, a, of course not. you would stick of around. Not. So of course, somebody in your shoes, what do you see as in a way I mean, can you maybe exp share any positives that you have in your in your day-to-day -day life? And if there aren't any, the negatives that have consumed you? Just just uh, maybe like a personal reflection on where you are today as somebody with a lot of potential and also stuck and, and watching a country that's deteriorating and yet still trying, still pushing, trying to see some hope at the end. Um, so honestly, like, I think everyone my age has this constant thought about leaving and just securing a life outside. Uh, I would, I wish I could make a living. Like, I don't want anything. I don't want to live a fancy life in whatever, own a big fancy car and stuff. I just want to, I would be very happy if I could live comfortably without having to worry about not being able to pay the bills, etc., and being able to contribute to society. I would do that instead of like a $500,000 contract abroad. I would do that without thinking. But yeah. I feel hope. I feel like I'm useless here, honestly. I can't find a place where I can have this conversation that we're having right now. Uh, I can't. Like every time I go ask people, like why are why is this not happening? They say that's it. Like we're just like everyone gave up. But I think there's hope. Like it's not that there's hope. We can like create things and make opportunities if we wanted to. But there's nothing that's helping us to do that. Uh, like say I want to open up a new a company here, and I want to do some projects for a company that's abroad. I could do that but like it's so hard going outside the country meeting a, a like a client convincing them that you're actually going to be able to do the job and then coming back doing the job and this is this first step is the hardest once you get over this step it just it just goes on like you built your reputation you can go on get more business so this is starting the wheel it's like the hardest part that we're facing right now. But I like that your domain, and you said it at the beginning, there's no borders. There's, there's, there's bottleneck. Mm -hmm. There are many bottlenecks, but there are no borders. And the bottlenecks, are, I yeah. think, are clogging the Lebanese space. But you're still, if you're able to navigate them, computer science, telecoms, and the like, you're able to, as you said, be on anywhere on planet Earth and do what you do. So do you yep. see that as maybe 
the the that that is the lifeline so to speak for someone like you that you don't have to necessarily really really depend on the local situation as long as you've some access to the outside world someone like you can still survive it could be yeah it could be as long as we still have electricity it could be <laughs> <laughs> that's that's like I, I just like last week i just went and bought some solar panels if i could like satellite internet i wouldn't mind i just i'm trying to be as off-grid as possible so that i don't have to worry about the electricity going out or stuff like that so it, 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 what's kind of depressing is that these things that that like are super simple in comparison to to other countries and yeah. like like yeah, I don't know. No, but, but yeah, I'm... this 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 is a lifeline. This is definitely a a lifeline for people who work in the same field. You bought your own solar panels. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how to install solar panels? I mean, did you? I just had my friend like help me out. He works at a. <laughs> is, are, are are they working? Yeah, yeah. Are we using solar panel electricity right now? Oh no, not right now. Just it's just like two days. I'm still charging the battery. Are you still charging? <laughs> Next week, maybe. Yeah, no, but I mean, that's the kind of cre I mean, that's the sad end. That's the dep that's the very painful side of the creative spirit of Lebanon, is that a student yeah. goes and buys his own solar panels to be able to live a life that requires electricity and and internet yeah and you're not letting yourself sit at home and just sort of decay you're still trying i actually admire somebody who's doing that and also calling ogero and trying to offer you know healthier ways forward and i think and i'll let you sort of add to this i think that is the ultimate stumbling block always that there's a lot of talented people many Many, and, and you said it at the beginning that a competitive streak because there's so many people in this field in, in Lebanon. So there's a lot of a lot of skilled labor. And then you have a lot of uh, skilled uh, stumbling blocks and, and the, the mm. institutions in particular are not interested. But I don't I don't envy anyone that has to schedule an episode on the electricity grid. And I know that we talked about this that there's a very good chance it's going to cut in a few minutes. Yeah. So we, maybe we can leave it here. I, uh, is there anything right. you wanted to add to the, to the conversation, Giorgio? Um, no, I guess. Thank you very much for having this conversation with me. I've been longing to have this conversation with someone. Is there anything you want to get off your chest, given that we have five minutes left before electricity goes? <laughs> do you want to, any, do you want to curse anyone in particular? Do you want to, um, you know, if there's anyone listening from the government, please let us work. We can bring in dollars from outside. Just let us work. It's <laughs> well said. Even if it's cryptocurrency, you can still bring it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Well said, Giorgio. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.